Just a real quick note before you start listening. I'm currently taking a long overdue break from all the screens. So this episode, along with the next couple of weeks, are replays of our top four most popular episodes from last year. I'm mentioning this so that when you hear me say something like, Happy New Year, I haven't actually lost my mind. That's what's going on. But if things sound a little different, it's probably because some of these episodes are from before I had help with editing, which has been a huge help. And of course, I was able to do that in part made possible by our sponsor, Amico. Hi, I'm Jake, purchasing agent at Amico, providing you with everything you need for clay. This episode is brought to you by Amico Brent. Find your favorite Amico glazes or Brent equipment at your local distributor. Cheers for listening. Happy glazing. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Maker's Playbook, the podcast where we talk all about what it's really like to make a living from the things you make. I'm your host, Rebecca Aikis-Carr. Happy New Year, my friends. Welcome back. I hope that you had a restful holiday. We are kicking off the new year here on the podcast in a big way. Big like Instagram influencer big. And he's probably going to roll his eyes when he hears this intro. But hey, that's what you get for growing an audience online to over 199,000 followers. Yes, my friends, this week on the podcast, we are chatting with none other than Kurt Hammerly of Hammerly Ceramics. We talk about just how many hours he puts into Instagram to get where he is today. And spoiler, it's a lot. (laughs) And the life experiences that came before owning a ceramic studio, which informed his particular approach to this crazy world of entrepreneurship. There is a lot to discuss here, and I think Kurt and I probably could have talked for another four hours on a bunch of different subjects. So let's just dig right in. Hey, Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. We sound so calm now all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> like like really down-to-earth adult right. on a Friday afternoon. We're so, we should have had cocktails for this. That's where, that's what I forgot. Should have. I'm going to a first Friday event tonight at a local gallery, so I'm sure I'll have some cocktails for that. Nice, nice. Well, before we dig in too far, I'm guessing many people are going to know who you are, but, you know, let's just assume nobody's ever heard of this guy named Kurt with a C on Instagram. And if you were, when you, when you meet people for the first time at this gallery, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, it's actually really funny because I I love um, talking with people like uh, ever since I quit my job and started doing this, my wife introduces me to her friends and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm an artist and it's pretty great. And I sell my work on the internet and she gets really upset at me for that. She's like, you're a business owner. And I'm like, okay, I'm a business owner. So yeah, I tell people that I, uh, I play with mud and use Instagram to turn that into a living somehow. And when did that all actually start? So I, I did this in about the safest way possible. I had a full-time job at the university at CU Boulder mm-hmm. and uh, started taking ceramics classes. And somewhere along the line, I was following a bunch of people on Instagram. And one day was like, I could do this. So I just started putting up pictures. And um, first six months, I got 200 followers. Mm-hmm. And then I started making videos. And the subsequent six months, I got 50,000. And then the year after that, got another 50,000. And it just kept growing. So I was single at the time. I didn't have a girlfriend or a wife. So I worked full time. And then every night during the week and all weekend, I spent in the studio. And at some point, I think I was around 30,000 followers. And someone was like, are you ever going to sell anything? Like, is this, what are you doing, man? Like, I'd love this, the mug in this post looks great. And I was like, oh, damn, I never really thought about it. But I do have a lot of stuff stacking up. So I should do something about that. So I started in Etsy, put like 20 things on it couple things sold and then it just kept growing and growing and then there wasn't anything left on my Etsy and I put more up and then a couple weeks later everything was gone again and this was still with a full-time job so eventually I went down to part-time went down to three days a week instead of five 
and upped the pottery time, got a studio in my basement, was still firing at this remote place called the Boulder Potter's Guild. And then after a year of that, I was making more money with my side hustle, as it was, than I was than I would have ever made with my university job with little 2% increases every year. Sure. After 10 years of the university, I went to my boss and told her I was done. That's amazing. And so you weren't even teaching ceramics there. No. <laughs> I, I was in the architecture school. I didn't touch play until I was 25. This makes so much sense to you. As soon as the word architecture came out of your mouth, I was like, ah, this, yeah, I can my, see this. my job at the university for 10 years was running their fabrication lab. So all of my very first molds made with the 3D prints were printed at my job. That makes me feel a lot better about my life now. <laughs> okay, so I'll be perfectly honest. I think that that has been my um, most significant advantage coming into this is mm -hmm. that I had 12 years of 3D modeling experience under my belt when I started yeah. working with Clay. And everyone that I talk to that tries to go and do what I'm doing from the opposite side, they have the clay experience, but they don't have the mold making or the 3D modeling. And it has been really tough. And I've only seen a couple of people successfully make that transition because 3D modeling is really, really difficult and takes a lot of hours to like to get good at it. Yeah. Starting, I had 12 years of experience already. And I think that's what has allowed me, one, to make the designs that I make and two, to um, not have too many people coming after me, as it were. <laughs> Well, that's, I, I agree completely in terms of the first time I ever put anything up on Etsy. My very mediocre pots in the beginning, much like you're saying, your inventory starts to stack up just because you're not selling anything. It's like, okay, well, I lived in Chicago at the time. I didn't have storage. Like, where was this going to yeah. go? And I wasn't stopping. You can only give pots. so much to your family and your right? friends. Um, there's only so many birthdays and holidays that people get things they don't want. <laughs> <laughs> But genuinely, I think I had an easier time selling because the photos looked good. Absolutely. The colors were accurate. I understood how to showcase the scale and the size and yeah. the function and all that kind of stuff. I would not consider myself a photographer by any means, but I have in the past done seminars and speaking engagements on Instagram for artists. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that I recommend is to take a photography and videography class. Yep. And I took one at the university before I quit, and I really credit that class with... Um, giving me the base that I needed to stand out when people yeah. are scrolling through Instagram. If you have if even slightly dimly lit picture, people just blow right through it. Yep. Which is a whole nother, I could go down a rabbit hole, but there's a course yeah, for which, that. Which, which rabbit one. hole are we going to go down? To? I know, right? Uh, well, there's a few. I've already started taking notes because you talking about being an artist versus your wife introducing you as a business owner is always a fascinating. Uh, Great dichotomy right of like how we don't need to talk about what is art we can leave that at the university oh yeah but. i'm good to know that but it is funny that like uh i tell this to someone mm -hmm. at a party and the guy's mm -hmm. like man i wish my wife would let me stay home and make art in my basement all day and i'm like if you only knew how much stuff i sell on the internet <laughs> right well so what do you ever like go down that conversation with somebody to kind of uh for lack of a better oh, word yeah. enlighten them yeah, and uh, I do it far too slow for my wife's taste. <laughs> I like to just kind of string them along because, um, uh, I mean, it's going very well. It's going better than I ever could have possibly imagined something like this ever working in my life. But the preconceived notions that people have of artists, I mean, I grew up with two parents that were teachers, and the joke was like, art is not a job. Like they weren't, they weren't completely against it. They, they definitely encouraged us to do it, drawing, painting, anything on the side. As a kid. But it was never, it was like, no, you're going to be an engineer. Like that was, that was, that was my life. Um, so art was never encouraged. So there's obviously a lot of preconceived notions about that running around, especially my wife's friend groups. So it's just fun to play with people and then have someone from left field be like, he has a lot of Instagram followers. Have you have you noticed? Have you gone there yet and seen that? You know, pretty fun. Well, so when, just to stuff. give everybody a little timeline, when you were talking about like, okay, you had two hundred followers for six months, and then you started video, and everything started exploding. How do you remember what year that was? I believe it was two thousand 
early 2017 is when I put up my first video. So it's been four years. Because that's the thing that I feel like it's about consistency, isn't it? Right? You've got to commit to doing it and keep doing it. I've been asked for years, which post blew you up? And I know some artists that have had that happen and they've tripled their following overnight because George Takai put them on his Facebook or some celebrity um, put them on there. But mine has really been pretty consistent. I've had a couple videos go pretty big, but other than that, it's just been playing the Instagram game for five years straight. Maybe it wasn't 2017. It must have been 2016. It must have been 2016. I think I think I've been playing the game for about five years. It's kind of a blur at this point. Yeah, it's just been a steady climb. Well, and how much time do you feel like you I love that you pointed out when you started and you were trying to balance between the full-time job and doing this as a side hustle, you were single and you weren't trying to also parent an eight-month-old and have a healthy relationship and you know, like it's how much time do you feel like you had you either had to originally commit to Instagram or still even commit to Instagram? It's a lot. I would say that for the last five years, I've probably dedicated about 20 hours a week to it. Yeah. So it's a part-time job. Yep, It's a part-time job. But uh, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And one of those ways is to pay for advertising, just get your name out that way. And I knew not so much anymore because the ad space has gotten so expensive, but and I'm not going to name names, but there have been some potters that have made a lot of money in the past by spending money on ads through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it worked great for a while, but now the ad bots are so expensive that it's just kind of crazy. Plus, the way that we, the way that I do it, our last sale had a 42% returning customer rate, which is just massive. That's a huge percentage. So it feels like we've built something that people are coming back for more. We actually mm-hmm. just sent out little postcard letters to the 20 people that have spent the most money on our shop this year. And we gave them free shipping for the rest of the year. Smart. We have some collectors. We have some people that seem to buy everyone that they know gifts from us Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it seems like there is some momentum behind it at this point. And it's not just this month over month struggle to just get the sales. Yeah which is a little bit of a safer feeling. Did you wait to go full-time until you felt like you were in a bit of that place of momentum? Or was there a time when you like quit your job and you're like, oh shit, I don't know if this is going to work? Oh, well, I mean, I definitely, I'm, I'm a very kind of safe and pragmatic person. So like I said, I didn't quit my job until I was making more with the side thing. It still definitely felt like a leap of faith. But at the time it was like, it's either now or never. And since then, I mean, we've doubled revenue every year for four years straight, and I quit my job three years ago. So it just keeps it just keeps working, and it just keeps growing. And for my own peace of mind, I have an obscene amount of money in a savings account. Just it's hard to be a creative for a living and worry about making money at the same time. So I'm always trying to manage that because it's hard to be creative when you're desperate. Yes. At least in my opinion, like I've, I mean, I've gone to Inseca and I've gone to these things and talked to these um, old people who talk about how being a starving artist is the only way to really bring out people's creativity. And one, that hasn't been my experience. And two, it's just, it doesn't sound like a fun way to live. So I'm, I'm glad we're not recording the video because my facial expressions right now, just hearing somebody say that are appalling. Yeah, but you know you've seen it, and okay, pain can help create art. I didn't start doing art until I broke my neck and experienced more pain than I could ever imagine. But worrying about if you're going to be able to feed your infant child with mugs for sale on the internet, if you actually say it out loud, it's kind of fucking horrifying. And now my brother works for me. So it's not only me, but feeding my family and feeding my brother's family comes from my ability to sell coffee mugs for a very high price on the internet. And that's fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) But also amazing. Also amazing. amazing. We live in an amazing time. Yeah. But it's like some of my friends, even friends that are like in the business world and like managers and stuff. And they're like, you sell what for how much? <laughs> and it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, but I'm very, 
I'm unbelievably grateful for um, the following that I have and the customers that I have. And every time I ship out a batch and people start putting pictures of my work in their stories and how excited they are, it's just surreal. It's amazing. Since you're putting so much time into Instagram, is that like the one go-to, that's the marketing focus and ignore all the rest of the bells and whistles out there? Or do you feel like there's need yes. to diversify? Uh, 95% of my sales come from Instagram. Gotcha. Obviously, I have an email list of about 9,000 people um, because that's the only thing that you can really own yourself. Say it again. Say it again for <laughs> everyone, the people in the back. Everyone should have an email list. It's very easy, and it's the only thing that you'll have once some weird thing happens with your social media account or anything like that. But yeah, I decided very early on, I was trying to do Pinterest, and I was trying to do Facebook, and I was trying to really spread out, and it was just... I was trying to do wholesale. I was trying to do all kinds of stuff and it was just spreading it too thin. The goal for this year has been diversification and mm-hmm. did a couple online workshops, mold making 101 and slip casting 101, 35 bucks a piece. And they have made crazy amounts of money. I didn't think it was possible, but I mean the mold making 101 class, I think we've sold 700 of them at this point. That's and it's still just like every month, a couple more people buy the mold making and the slip casting workshop. And it's just already up on the internet. I partnered with a company called Tastify, and now that I have that set up, it's kind of a passive thing on the side. And then I have another project that uh, may or may not be announced on the internet by the time this goes live. I don't know what your timeline is, but this year has definitely been the year for diversifying because I've been very afraid of putting all my eggs in one basket for a while now. But to diversify in the past, it has derailed the main revenue stream, and it's really hard to take something that's successful and dedicate a significant amount of time to something on the side that may or may not. I mean, it's why I haven't done YouTube because starting from the bottom on YouTube, like of course you can make a lot of money on YouTube, but it requires an unbelievable amount of work to get there. So it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that though, because I think the thing that I, if I were to do it all over again with my businesses, the thing I did too often was spread myself too thin. I saw mm-hmm. an opportunity that was a, a smart, savvy yeah. opportunity, but with either the staffing that I had or the resources I had, whether it be time, money, people, whatever it is, I didn't have enough of one of those things to try and do as many of yeah. the things I was doing, right? Yeah. So it can feel safer to diversify to a wide breadth, but mm-hmm. it's so hard to do anything well if you're doing too many things. Yes. I had a coach once, a business coach, use the metaphor of if you're trying to push one really heavy boulder up a mountain, as you were talking about with momentum, like once you start it going, you can get it up there. It's going to take a hell of a lot of work, but you can do it. If you have a bucket of pebbles that are raining down upon you and you're trying to push all of them up the mountain, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get anywhere and make any traction, which was yeah. a very And I know a lot of people that think of it in the terms of, I mean, there's a lot of people that think that social media is luck-based. So they're like, if I spread out to TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, all of these places, local shows, wholesale accounts, there's a higher likelihood of one of them becoming successful because I'm throwing so many fishing lines in the water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's I mean, obviously, yes, if you get seen by the right people, it could turn into something, but I don't like the idea of playing the luck game. And I think that you can get there through hard work. Like I said, my Instagram growth has been just a steady burn over years. I committed myself years ago to doing three picture posts and two video posts a week. And ever since my child was born, it's (laughs) kind of all fallen apart, but I did it for like four years straight and it built up a pretty good following. Do you feel like the time has passed on Instagram in terms of being able to get that consistent growth or not maybe all. that's an unfair question also? Could no, you- no, no. It's a, it's a perfectly fair question. And it's something that I end up talking to people on Instagram about all the time because they think like, obviously the gold rush is over. There's never going to be another tortoise. There's never going to be another, another Seattle artist. Like they got in early and they mm-hmm. grew very big because of it. It helps to be the first. However, and this is where there's no way for me to prove this is true, but, and, and people will argue with me all day about this, but I definitely think uh, the algorithm of Instagram has contingencies in place to try to help smaller accounts grow. Mm. But you have to have really good content because yes. 
at the end of the day, the algorithm is people. And five years ago, when Tortoise was throwing on the wheel, no one had ever seen it before. The vast majority of human beings in America had never seen anyone throw pottery on a wheel. But now everyone has. You have to show people something that they haven't seen before. And you have to, like you were saying earlier with the photography, as a skill you came in with, is you have to do it in a way that is cohesive and well-lit and well-organized. And I, one of, one of the other guys that lives in Colorado here, Callahan Ceramics, he has grown faster than any Instagrammer I've ever seen. And he doesn't even make videos. My mantra has always been that videos grow your audience and pictures sell your work. He has such good pictures and he has an aesthetic for his work that is very Instagrammable on like a crazy level. People yeah. go completely bananas for his stuff. And he has grown faster than I could possibly imagine. He has 11 employees now. And two years ago, he had one. It's crazy. That's insane. Um, How many? So you, you just said yes, your brother works rush is not now. over. Instagram is still very, very useful. So you said, sorry, I didn't want to forget to clarify. Talking about people hiring employees, you said your brother works for you now. Was that your first hire? So is it you and him full time or what's the, what's the kind of day to day look like? Um, so I hired him, uh, about two and a half years ago. He's never been full time. He does about 20 hours a week. Um, but he is very hard worker and very efficient and just amazing. Um, and now I have four other part-time employees. I hired two more in the last month. So it is me working an obscene amount of hours <laughs> that I don't want to talk about. And then my five employees and most of my brother is really he can do anything that i ask him to he also manages the shopify he does everything from the shopify to building our tables to putting up these 80 linear feet of shelving space just so we could get a lot of stuff off the ground so he is kind of if i'm the like creative artist marketing person he does all of the other stuff he organizes our packaging and he's basically the shipping department. He can ship a hundred packages in a day. Oh it's pretty great. <laughs> basically like shop manager effectively. Yep. Even though he doesn't want any of that responsibility, he's, he's very happy with his lifestyle. He spends a lot of time with his family and that makes him happy. And then the other employees, their main purview is slip casting and cleaning up greenware. And then some of them make glazes. Some of them, help on shipping days. So the spoiler alert for everybody is the amount of time you're actually spending making is slim. Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, um, I guess if you, so I, I still glaze every single piece that goes out the door. Mm -hmm. um, I make all the molds, do all the designs, develop all the glazes. The only main things that I have passed off are the slip casting, yep. the cleaning up of those casts, and then the shipping. So you get, you still get kind of the creative control. Yes. You're just not literally pouring the mud into the yes. plastic. And yep. that's the interesting thing going forward into next year with another thing that's launching soon. If it becomes a regular thing, I'm actually looking to hire a second in command. I'm looking to hire someone that will run the production because I'm not interested in becoming just like a manager of people. Yeah. Uh, I want to continue to be the designer. I love working with the glazes. I want more time to make more large-scale sculptural art if I can find a way to balance that. But there are things, especially like as soon as you start managing a couple people, it devours unbelievable amounts of time. And I would also say like the cognitive weight of the stress of at a certain point in any business, you have to rely on other people. But if you're used to going it alone for a while, the cognitive weight of like, is so-and-so going to show up to work today? And did they do it right? And do I need to check yeah. it? And I have to the, teach them how to do it they do it right is the hardest part for me. I have, I've been told a very unbelievable level of like uh, quality control expectations and getting people to do what you want them to do the way that you want them to do it. And I've always kind of taken the mantra of like, I'm not trying, I'm not going to give you a quota. I'm not going to make you like work your ass to the bone. I just want it to be right. And even with that, I mean, it's my work. So it's hard for, that. that's where I have the disconnect is like, 
if I walk over and I'm like, oh, you did this slightly wrong. And they're like, I can't tell the difference. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> if you can't tell the difference, then I can't help you improve. Yeah. 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 That's managing incredible. managing people was a hard a hard shift for me and and freely was not always successful at it right there were some very big learning curves and it also is the question i think a lot of people have to ask that maybe you don't always ask as things start succeeding and a business starts growing and you just have these needs of um alex matisse and i talked a little bit about this of like choosing what size business you want to grow into, right? Mm. Like being intentional about like, do you want to stay small? Do you want to become a production? Do you want to become a whatever million dollar size production factory warehouse that they're doing now? You know, like these are all very different realities. Yeah. And it's very, it's very hard to fight against the growth. Um, I feel like I've been pushing towards my limit in a lot of ways for the past four years. And in the last three months, finally hit it. And uh, it feels good to finally hit that threshold to know where it is, but it's also been the this year's been crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and do you have the? I have the problem of when you start to see that growth, and you've been working your ass off so hard for so many years, you want to say yes to all the things, and that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you have the capacity or it's the right thing to do. But there is that scarcity mindset of like, holy crap, I'm making a living off of the stuff that I make. So if people want it now, I need to say yes, because maybe they don't always want it. Especially if you don't have that diversification of, yeah, because seriously, like now that I have five employees, including my brother, and now that um, my wife is for the most part not working, she's taking care of our baby, it really is like, wow, if we sold 200 pieces this month instead of 400, it would be a very big problem. And if that trend continued for six months, we would be done for. And I think that's probably, that's probably my biggest stress right now is the marketing. Because in my opinion, running the business is challenging. Making a unique art style is obviously challenging, but getting people to hit the buy button is unbelievably difficult. And there's no guarantee of it. Mm. That's my biggest stress. I imagine there's a lot of other people in that same boat, but every time I bring on a new employee or we just signed a three-year lease on a, what my brother is referring to as the South campus, we have 800 more square feet. We're going to get all of the non-clay stuff over into that space, but we signed a three-year lease and I just hired two more employees and I don't want to ever lay anyone off. So it's like the bigger you grow, the more susceptible you are to fluctuations that will put you in the black or the red. I don't, I don't actually know anything about red. business. I don't Definitely know the, the lingo. You want to be in the black. <laughs> in the black, okay. So yeah, that, that, that's also water. a funny Let's thing. People come water. to me. People come to me in my DMs with all kinds of like business lingo and entrepreneur lingo, and I'm like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. I just do this. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay, then I have to ask because with the growth that you have seen, like, did you originally when you were so you were working full time in engineering design 3D at the school learning ceramics did you naturally were you naturally kind of drawn into slip casting because you could merge this knowledge you had or was it an intentional so, I'm going to make a business out of this No it was just uh <laughs> my job was easy I sat in this office at midterms, it got super busy, and in fi- at finals time, it got super busy, but I had a lot of downtime. So I'd take ceramics classes in the evening, and then at work, I'd be sitting there at my computer, like, how the hell can I take these two things that I know and that I'm learning and combine them? How can I integrate design into my ceramic work? And from there, the very obvious answer was slip casting, and it started with me 3D modeling an object printing that object and then teaching myself how to make molds the old-fashioned way where you like clay up the walls and pour the plaster so for the first couple years that's how i did it is i printed the object and then i um made molds the old-fashioned way so it was intentional but not to make it a business the only intention i had was to see if i could make a finished product that was designed in the computer and like bring it to life basically. So that was really the only intention was I wanted my designs that I had in my head 
geometric shapes that were perfect symmetry, hard edges, all these kind of things that are difficult to do with clay in like a repeatable way. Because obviously like any one of my mug designs, you could make them by hand, but to make them at a scale that would make any sense or to make them identical from piece to piece to piece would be difficult. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even plan on being a business for a very long time. I imagine and like I said, there's no way to ever know, but the original start of your content on Instagram and how that grew and you had people actually asking like, "Hey, are you ever going to sell something?" I imagine the uh, for lack of a better word, I hate to use the overused, but the authenticity of that content of just kind of sharing to share what you were making and yeah. making sure the images looked great. My mantra since the beginning has been to share what gets me excited. Yeah. That's actually why it's been hard the last few months is because the secret project that I'm working on, I can't share. And it's really, really hard <laughs> because it's been, I love sharing the struggle. I love sharing the successes and the failures. And this project that I'm working on has had a ton of those yeah. and I just can't share them. So I love sharing what I'm doing day to day because that's where a lot of the authenticity comes from. But right now I can't. But yeah, that's that's always been my whole mantra. I am disgusted every time I have to really start marketing work. Like every month as we start getting closer to the launch of the collection and I actually have to be like, okay, Saturday at noon, this is when everything is going up. It just uh, it makes me feel ill. Like I just want to, I just want to make content and I want to show my failures, my successes, the projects I'm working on, my excitement and selling pottery doesn't do it for me. If I didn't have to sell pottery, that would be fine. I would do every part of this without selling it. And that'd be great for me, but you got to make a living. True. You've got to, you've got to pay for that college tuition for, for baby. <laughs> I mean, Francesco's and yes. our solution to that is um, move back to Italy and they can go to college in Europe where there you go. it's very affordable. <laughs> there you go. And see, that'll be, we, we talk about this a lot. My brother has two kids. Um, they're three and six. And we talk about what the landscape of college education is going to be like at that point. Mm. And if, college doubles again before my son is in college or goes up even more, like even at an in-state school, am I going to give this kid a hundred grand to 400, 500 grand to go to college? Or is he going to be raised with an entrepreneur for a dad? And he'll be like, I want to start a business and I'll help him. I, I would never encourage him not to go to college. I definitely got a lot out of going to college. I have mm -hmm. my issues with our ed, but, um, it still statistically puts you in a better place in your life. But yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to plan for 17 years from now. But I do appreciate you sharing that like your your wife is mostly staying at home because the other big aspect of people I wanted to try and find to interview on the podcast were were the people who literally like there is no security net. It's yeah. you're making a life. And I think a lot of the people I've found to talk to who have no other income also don't have a family and don't have a partner. And it's like, so wait, can find me some people who like, if I want to have kids and both of us are self-employed artists, we can do this. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? I mean, this is so weird to say, but I a hundred percent believe it's true, but it's all about marketing. Everything else can happen. Like getting into the space was a pain. Getting the kiln approved by the city was a pain. Like all of these things are these stepping stones that once you solve them, you can move forward. Greg and I were standing on either side of the table a year and a half ago when Tracy told me she was pregnant. And he was like, sitting here with a sponge and cleaning the greenware is not worth your time anymore. We need to hire people to do this. So you're free to do the hire stuff. And all of that stuff falls into place. But if you do not have any customers, you just can't make any money. And it's the thing that I talk to artists all the time and they're like, well, I don't like marketing. And it's like, well, then you're going to have to figure something out because it's not enough in most cases. In most cases, it is not enough to just be the artist. Yeah. There are a few people who get discovered because their art is crazy or their dad knows a gallery owner and got them into the system or whatever, whatever crazy luck-based stuff can happen. But if you want to do this for yourself, you have to have customers. And the more customers you have, 
the better off you are. The more people who know your name, the more people who know who you are, the more people who recognize your work. It's just like getting that top end number bigger is always the goal. In my opinion, I know artists that they always look at like my goal for the month is to make $5,000. I have never had financial goals like that. My goals are always based on things that I can control. So my main goal for years was three picture posts, two video Mm. posts, original content per week. I can control that. I have no idea how those posts will do, but the way that Instagram works is if your content is good, you will have a little bit of growth from the majority of your videos. And every now and then one of them will go big. Speaking of like the days of Instagram being good or over, my biggest video by a wide margin that I've ever had was six weeks ago. And it got up to 3.5 million views, which is three times bigger than I've ever had. Yeah. I shot that video in 30 seconds with my phone as a time lapse. I didn't edit it. I just put it into a reel and grabbed a random chill song Song. and 3.5 million views. I think that's what people... And then what I run into as well is people will look at that and they'll say, well, make more of that video. And you're like, nope, it's it's a time and it was a place and I already did it. And next time I make a video that's 99% similar, it'll probably bomb. And that's just how it works. Like you but have to reiterate, to, you kept You have to up. be creative. You have to show things that people have never seen before. And like I said, I filmed it in 30 seconds and didn't edit it and just put it up. My most popular videos ever are the ones that I put the least amount of time into. The stuff that I filmed over three days and taken into Adobe Premiere and made it perfect and timed to the music and like perfect cuts, showing the process perfectly. Bomb! Every time. <laughs> And then the ones that I just like grab my phone and I'm like, hey, what I'm doing right now is somewhat interesting. Maybe I'll film it. And it's just it's, it's a it's a numbers game. Right. If your stuff is not well lit or you don't have it framed correctly or all of these things that you could learn in a photography class, like so many we people think that, that the social media game is just luck and that yeah. you're just like trying there's like some people that the algorithm likes and there's some people that it doesn't like but there is something to be said with just a base level of decent quality if you just keep trying new stuff something will get something will click in human beings brains and they'll go wow that's satisfying and then it goes big and light i'm i love that you're talking about lighting so much because there's so many dms that i get about what camera should i buy or how do you do a flat lay or whatever else that it is that if the lighting isn't good in the first place, last year we launched the styling course because that's every was everybody's first question. But really, ultimately, what I'm pr- going to produce for this next year, and I'm going to say it out loud now, which means I have to do it, which is a problem because I haven't even started it, but <laughs> is is a course on lighting because that's at the end of the day that is photography, that is oh, yeah. videography. I can take a great shot with my phone if it's beautifully lit. And I can take a crappy shot with my $5,000 camera. Everything in between and yep. flat, no one yep. cares. And if it's too contrasty, no one cares. Yep. Oh, I love it. I'm going to not go down the photography rabbit hole and just say like, hey, there's courses for that. You can DM me. I'll make yeah. it easier and move on. There are <laughs> courses for that. But I think that the number one thing that people can start doing is, one, be hypercritical of your own posts. Mm. You have to be able to step back from your own work, your artwork, your pictures, your content, like any of it. You have to be able to stand back and have some some possibly objective view of like, is this good or is it bad? Mm -hmm. Not good art, but is it like, is the craft good? Is the lighting good? Critique the hell out of your own work and then follow people that do it really well and analyze exactly what they have done. And my biggest thing with teaching photography as well is not just saying, okay, if you want a photo like this, do that, but teaching people why it is the way it is so that if your style changes, because I think the next level after that is you do a very good job of photographing your work in a way that suits the work, right? So you're not... They're not great photographs. (laughs) Well, but they have to be... the, The things have... I had a student this last summer actually realize this and put words to it. And I was like, yes, thank you. 
if your style of pottery is one way or your brand is one way and your photos are a different style, there's a disconnect there that is going to mess with people's experience of you. And if people feel a disconnect in their experience of you, there is a subconscious level of distrust. And then that affects the buy button. Like we, I mean, to bring it all full circle. I think one of the best examples of that, I hope I remember her name correctly. Her name is Sage Cortez, like hand and fire, I think. But she has a very, um, her her photography style really suits her pottery style, like perfectly. And um, yeah, I mean, I in most of my pictures, it's just a mug on its own with nothing around it because I treat my mugs like little glazed canvases and hope that they speak for themselves. And that's one of the reasons why Callahan's pictures are so popular is because his mugs are paintings and it's like a painting that you can drink out of every day. Great. The other thing I thought about before, just to completely jump topics here, but just because you you mentioned your glazing is how interested in the glazing process you are. And to me that that's not that you're not putting effort and emphasis into the designs and the structures, but because you're not sitting and throwing pieces every day, I imagine you have been able to push the envelope further on creating your own glazes and doing like, yes, a lot of time is still spent in slip casting before you had people on board. Oh yeah. I but pottery has so many variables. You got to, I feel like you have to pick which one you want to. Absolutely. You know, is what I'm getting. Absolutely. I'm you you know the secret of the Hammerly Ceramics business model. Dun, dun, dun. I sell textiles. <laughs> I make and I sell textiles. And over the last four years, I have made damn near 10,000 mugs. And, or eight. Eight, maybe, I think, is what we counted. I feel like and you have a spreadsheet. Every one of those 8,000 mugs is a textile. And I have a Lightroom catalog of 35,000 pictures to go with those. And my it's it's textiles like i'm just testing different things all the time taking pictures of it going back and referencing them again saying this didn't turn out quite like i wanted it to and tweaking some things and my glaze knowledge has gone up exponentially since i left my job and it's gone up more since i hired people to do the slip casting because that's the part that i'm interested in and i want to I want to get as good at this as I possibly can and learn as much and as fast as I possibly can so that there's some transfer. I would love to try my hand at the fine art. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that next year I can find some time to make some more sculptural work, some stuff that will like one piece will fit in my kiln, like big stuff. That sounds super fun. But once I start making all those things, that's where this repository of glaze knowledge that I've accumulated over the past five years comes in because I don't have to start from the bottom figuring out how to glaze these sculptures because I already know exactly how these glazes behave on hard edges, how they behave mm-hmm. on rounded parts, on flat parts. I know how they behave when they're layered. I know how they behave when they're sprayed versus dipped versus poured and all of these things. So like my entire business model is so that I can learn more as much as possible, as fast as possible. Because that's when you have ideas in your head and you don't have the skills to make them happen in real life, it's a huge bummer. So I just want to get to the point where I have the skills to bring what I think of in my brain to reality. I love that. And there's so much, uh, not synchronous, there's so much connection also to me as far as how you were able to kickstart your ceramics with the 12 years of 3D printing knowledge. And now you've spent four years and however much more to go on the glazing knowledge and what presumably the successes we will see come from those major sculptural works that you will make that people will see as like, oh, all of a sudden Kurt started doing sculpture and it's super successful. Well, no, not all of a sudden. You've been spending years developing that knowledge and so those sculptures are going to be more successful from the years of preparation. You know, like But it's- at the same time, I have a mortgage and a family. And I, I went to Inseeker for the first time, and I talked to a guy who plays the sculpture game. And he spends 
three to four months on each sculpture and he sells them for $20,000 a piece. And if he sells one in a year, he's in complete poverty. And if he sells five in a year, he's doing great. But I think that it's a lot safer route to make 3,000 mugs a year. It's a lot easier to get 100 people to buy a $100 mug than it is to get one person to buy a $10,000 sculpture, in my opinion. Plus, it, it seems like a it seems like a safer bet for a business. Sure. I can see both sides because when I think about my approach to photography, I very specifically chose weddings and not families because to make enough money, I can shoot 20 weddings in a year instead of photographing 300 families. But that's, that's the amazing thing about small business. And um, I mean, with photography or with art is there's a thousand different ways to do this. Seeing, I just recently met um, Dan Lamb. Her handle on Instagram is the Popomo. I hope I'm saying that right. Anyway, <laughs> no idea. she is a resin artist and she is fucking amazing. And she's playing the game from a very different angle where she makes high dollar value gallery pieces, gets into galleries. But then she's also on the side doing these corporate gigs where she makes one piece for a company in a month and they pay her for mm. that piece. And it's like, she doesn't necessarily have like a, a business and a shop online. She does sell some stuff herself, but it was so great to sit down and talk to her because her business model is a hundred percent different from mine, but she's very successful at it. Yeah. And I'm actually, it was, it was also great to meet her because she has a work-life balance and she's like actually like getting exercise every day and feeding herself well and like getting out into the world and going on vacations. And I'm like, shit. Sleeping. I'm like even. literally fucking falling apart as we speak. And uh, just trying to like figure out how the hell do I get to the business to a sustainable level that I can take a vacation mm. or that I can step away. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I was just going to ask you, what is something that, you know, people that are watching you on Instagram and online wouldn't realize about the realities of your business, but I f feel like you just answered it. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I, uh, man, it's hard to share that too. It, it is. Okay. So on Instagram, everyone's like, oh, everyone just puts up the happy and the good stuff. And it's like, because mm -hmm. when you put up stuff, that's like, when I even put up posts, there's like, get really real and in a story. And I'm like, man, I'm so tired. I've been working so much. And people are just like, quit complaining. And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. So it's just not worth putting up the harder sides of things because the reactions that you get, they either are like, you need to stop and take a break right now or you're going to die. Or they're just like, shut the fuck up. Your life is awesome. Get over it. And I'm like, Ugh. being a real human on the internet is really fucking hard. It's not right. like... It's not like people are just deciding I'm only going to show the good stuff because I'm an asshole like that. Like, there are reasons There are reasons that these things happen. And as I've spent more time on Instagram and putting my face on there and putting my family on there and stuff, and I'm like, wow, I realize why, one, people only put up the good stuff, and two, why people go crazy doing this. And my oh, home, no. Greg will always be my check. My brother will always <laughs> be my check because I've put up a couple things in the past, and he's like, dude, what, don't. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to go back to your point then to it's I'm I'm jumping subjects because I feel like I'm also conscious of sometimes I, I finish an interview and I put up a podcast, I'm like, that was a great conversation. And then I listen back and I'm like, wow, we were really depressing about the realities of what this is like. <laughs> but that's part of why I started this though. I mean, I would like to still grow it. There's goals and hopes for the podcast and business and all of that, but there's so many people out there now who are like, oh, if I could just quit my full-time job and go all in on this hobby. And I'm like, yes, you can. That's wonderful. Let's talk like pragmatically about what that Absolutely. Like. I have people reach out to me on a weekly basis and say, I want to quit my job. Should I do it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you have 400 Instagram followers. And they're like, I want to quit my job, learn pottery, and then become a professional potter. And I'm like, that's the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. Um, Not in that order, at least. I definitely think that anybody can do this if they want to. But a lot of people don't. I was talking to my new employees recently, and we were talking about 
my past. Like when I started doing this, I was single and um, was kind of in a depressed place. And I dealt with the fact that I was lonely by being in the studio every hour of the day that I wasn't a sleeper at work. And one of my employees was like, yeah, I, I really like spending time with my significant other. And I'm like, well, you can still do it. It just might take a little longer because it's hard. This is awesome. I get a, from one side of things, I get to wake up in the morning and I get to come to the studio that is mine and I get to do whatever the hell I want. Yes, that's absolutely true. However, I have to now with the other studio that we just signed, my rent is $4,500 a month or $3,500 a month. My mortgage for my house is another two grand. There is this number with the rent, utilities, the mortgage, the health insurance, the employees, payroll, that if we do not make more than $20,000 a month, we are screwed. And that is a lot of, that is a lot of money. And that is a lot of pressure. And I mean, at the end of the day, if I do not make mugs to sell on the internet, all of this falls apart. Yeah. And at my job, and uh, just to bring up the comparison is I worked at the university. University staff jobs are very cushy. Mm -hmm. I sat in an office. I got paid decently. I had full health insurance. I had like 25 days of vacation time a year. I had all holidays off. If it snowed and I didn't feel like driving, I'd just call in sick because who the fuck cares? But it's like, that's not the reality when you're running your own thing. So all I will say is that it's not for everybody. Yeah. I know a lot of people that this would not make them happy. They might think that it would, but the amount of time that I actually spend on a weekly basis making art as like, if you think, distill it down to pure artistry, the amount of hours that I'm spending per week doing that is very minimal. And going back to what we said at the beginning, that is where my wife is right, is that at this point, I am a small business owner. Yeah. But it will not always be that way. This is a temporary thing to get to a larger goal. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't have a segue follow-up question to that at all. I feel like I should just end it right there. Boom. Done. Do you want to know what the larger goal is? Well, yeah, but, you know, do you – clearly you know it already, but I didn't know. I was like, I didn't know if that was like a secret project or a no, you know, sculptural so, work or whatever. So this is Studio 2. So the basement <laughs> studio, the little 8 by 10 studio where I hired Greg – and we were shoulder to shoulder, and it was just terrible and cramped and basementy. Um, that was Studio One, and this um, rented space is Studio Two. And the eventual goal that I will be saving for until it happens, Studio Three is um, for my wife and I to buy a um, piece of property that is like half an acre to an acre, nothing crazy huge, but enough space that I can one build a greenhouse for all of my plant collection um and two that i can build a studio that i then own and at that point the business will kind of pull back a lot mm. and then the goal will be maybe have one assistant or something but um, make enough to pay the bills and then spend spare time with the family doing other fun cooking plant things and uh actually like make art more often because to actually get there is not as easy as it seems. Agreed. I mean, that's the, and being in the, the transition of it, when you do know what the goal is, I think is literally where my brain is at these days constantly. There's something ref, uh, refreshing or helpful having the goal and having that, like I am clearer than I ever have been before in my life on what the vision is, on what the That's ultimate good. end goal vision is. But once you get that clarity, being far away from it is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Because before, yeah. I was just hustling my ass off the way everybody else around me was, right? Mm -hmm. And and it was like, yeah, this is normal. This is okay. This is acceptable. This is, this is what you have to do. Whatever. Create every excuse in there. But now it's like, oh, wait a second. That's not actually what I want for my life. Yeah. And we're trying to make these changes and trying to do things differently. Ooh, that's that's rough. <laughs> I mean, like I said earlier, it's really hard to fight the growth 
Greg and I have been talking since we opened this studio two years ago that the more employees that get brought on and the more pieces that we make, it means a larger portion of my time on a weekly, monthly basis is glazing. As other people do the other things, the one part that I really don't want to hand off to anybody is the glazing. And it has happened. Like I have, we are at the beginning of November and I have six and a half weeks to glaze, fire, photograph, and sell 2,000 pieces. I I have a, a gas kiln in the back and we will run it every single day until Christmas. Every day, just every night, every afternoon, we'll load it. We'll fire it every night, whether it be BIS or oxidation or reduction, and it will get filled, fired, unloaded, and filled again every single day. Oh, my gosh. So it's kind of (laughs) crazy. Yeah, just a little. I I have taken above and beyond your time. So what – is there something that you feel like you want people to know – whether it be the people starting out who are coming to you like, hey, I want to be you, or whether it just be, I don't know, what's what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like I said, I knew when I got on this call with you that like we could have three more hours because we haven't even dove down both of our mutual loves for systems and spreadsheets and like there's so many other subjects. Well, yeah, we could do a whole episode on efficiency. I think, okay, so I think that kind of a common thread for this whole thing that I would say for new to people kind of in the middle of the road is one, be very careful of growth because it has strings attached to it. Two, I do not believe in taking out large amounts of debt for a business. It sounds absolutely horrible. What um, I don't know if this is like a coined term or anything, but my brother and I always talk about moving at the speed of cash. Like uh, I have a $50,000 Um, state-of-the-art gas kiln in the back and that was paid for by two and a half years of sales while I lived off of my salary from my job like I've done this in the most frugal way possible and um, I personally think that saving money to achieve a goal is a lot more satisfying than taking out a loan and paying it back but it's also terrifying because interest is wild so don't grow too fast definitely think through those things don't take out tons of debt to grow super fast and take a fucking photography class. Yay! <laughs> because if you want to play the social media game, uh, a lot of people think that you can just like, I don't care if you make the coolest art in the entire world. If you take shitty dimly lit pictures of it and put it on the internet, no one will give a fuck. Amen. So. <laughs> Amen. That was literally the best ending I could have possibly. <laughs> Good. All right. Kurt, I don't know that I need to tell anybody where to find you on Instagram, but just for posterity. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Great talking to you. And with that perfect ending that I promise you, I did not ask Kurt to say, we wrap up episode 209 of The Maker's Playbook. I'm still laughing about this ending because what Kurt had no idea about when we originally recorded this conversation about a month or so ago was that for the rest of this month, here on the podcast, I'm doing another photography extravaganza. The next two episodes are not only going to feature a lot of easy to implement tips and tricks to make your photos better, even if you're only using your cell phone, but also feedback from our students that joined me last year for the Maker's Photography Styling System. Because, as you may have guessed, we're opening the doors again to this content-packed six-week course at the end of this month. If you want to be sure not to miss out on this round of the Maker's Photography Styling System, then stop what you're doing right now hit pause and DM me your email address. I'm at the Maker's Playbook on Instagram. I'll add you to the wait list, which also means you will be in for a few special goodies only available to people on that wait list ahead of the course launching. As always, if you loved this episode, I would be so very grateful if you subscribed and left a review on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. And if you wouldn't mind helping spread the word with your fellow makers by snapping a screenshot and sharing about us on Instagram, 
that would be amazing. Of course, tag me at The Maker's Playbook and Kurt at Hammerly Ceramics so we can send over our thanks. And just a quick little clarifying update in real time, since this is a replay after all. While I don't yet have a date set for our next doors open to the Maker's Photography Styling System, you can still get on the wait list to be the first to know when that happens. I am gonna do it again this year, I just don't know exactly when. So go ahead and visit makersplaybook.com slash waitlist to put yourself on that list. Since I'm currently taking a few weeks away from the screens, that will be a lot faster than DMing me on Instagram like I originally said. You can do that too if it's easier, just know it might take me a little while to respond. And if you're feeling really anxious about getting help with your photography and you don't want to wait to the magical time when the doors open again for the full six-week course that is the Maker's Photography Styling System, the best place to get immediate help is by joining us over inside of the community. Every single month, I host a live photo Q&A where you can ask any question that you want, frankly. Learn more about the perks of having a support network of colleagues inside of the community by visiting makersplaybook.com slash community. And once again, this episode was sponsored by Amico. Hi, I'm Jake, purchasing agent at Amico, providing you with everything you need for clay. This episode is brought to you by Amico Brent. Find your favorite Amico glazes or Brent equipment at your local distributor. Cheers for listening. Happy glazing. Additional audio post-production of this podcast is made possible by help from Christy Kotzevan, with promotional material assistance from Queenie Malachi. The Maker's Playbook podcast is recorded on the original homelands of the Potawatomi, Ochunk, and Menominee people, where the people of Wisconsin sovereign Anishinaabe, Ochunk, Menominee, Oneida, and Mohican nations remain present. Until next time, my friends, go get back to making your dreams a reality. Because together, we've got this.